welcome into the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. Also, before I forget, today is Cyber Monday, uh, the very last day that we're doing our deal right now. So if you go to GamecockScoop.com, there's a big banner right across the page. It'll take you directly to the promo. Um, you can get a year of Rivals Premium for just $22. That's normally $100. So what is that? 78% off the normal price. And that it ends today. So definitely do that today if you haven't. Um, now, <laughs> we uh, we kind of already had a jam-packed show before this morning. And then um, things started trickling out, which we, we kind of already were hearing the rumors that Marcus Satterfield was the top uh, candidate as the offensive coordinator um, at Nebraska. And then I get a text from Zach Carpenter, who runs the rival site at Nebraska, and then uh, Pete Thamel at ESPN and Chris Lowe at ESPN both um, tweeted that Marcus Satterfield is pretty much set to become the next next offensive coordinator at Nebraska. So um, that leaves an opening, obviously, on South Carolina's staff. Uh, I think this was maybe best case scenario for all involved, although, you know, I'm sure after the last two games, um, several fans, me included, were kind of like, uh, I don't know, maybe you do give him a shot, see uh, see if he figured out how to simplify things after the Florida game. Maybe there was um, different input from someone that's currently on staff that we'll see in the bowl game. I don't know. There's a lot to talk about here, Alan. What are your immediate reactions to hearing that Marcus Satterfield's going to Nebraska? Uh, immediate reaction is I'm not surprised. Um, I think all of us kind of, once Matt Rule got that job at Nebraska, we were thinking Matt Rule was going to get a job somewhere with all of his college connections. Um, Marcus Satterfield spent three years at Temple with Matt Rule. They had a good relationship there. They had some good offenses there. Matt Rule hired Marcus Satterfield again when he went to the NFL to be his assistant offensive line coach for a year with the Carolina Panthers. Um, I think this was kind of the way it was always going to go once Matt Rule got a job and obviously needed an offensive coordinator. Um, from a South Carolina perspective, I do think this is kind of an amicable split. Um, it does the conversation we're having now is a lot different than one we were having two weeks ago, where it basically felt inevitable that Beamer was going to have to make a change, and you never would have guessed Satterfield get another Power Five job somewhere two weeks ago. But after Tennessee, after Clemson, which we're going to get into here in a little bit. Um, I do think this is probably best for both parties. Satterfield obviously had a lot of heat here, a lot of criticism. I, I kind of thought it was getting to him a little bit in the middle of the year, at least just based on some of his pressers. That's conjecture. Either way, it's good for him to get back with rule. And I think it's probably good for South Carolina to try to take this offense to another level. Cause they were still, even with Tennessee and Clemson 77th in the country in total offense. Like that's still not where it needs to be. Um, even with the last two data points being what they were. Yeah, I mean, it's really tough. Uh, there's definitely a little bit of, of bittersweetness, I think, after uh, especially that offensive explosion uh, against Tennessee, which is arguably one of the most impressive offensive performances in program history, if not the most impressive, considering the, the quality of opponent and all that. But, um, yeah, I saw a stat today that South Carolina went from 110th in scoring offense last year to 45th in scoring offense this year. So, I mean, that's a sizable increase. But, of course, you do have that 63-point um, data point that kind of skews that a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, 
I think that this is the best case scenario for Beamer uh, for the program because it kind of takes the decision out of his hands. In a lot of ways, you don't have to make what was sure to be a tough decision. Now, Pete Thamel reported that Sakana did push to keep him, um, but that ultimately the draw to work with Rule again uh, was too much. I don't know what that what those numbers look like as far as like did they offer to give him a raise or or, or what um i thought he had probably played his way or coached his way into getting another season all things considered but i don't know that he had coached his way into a raise <laughs> um so yeah we'll, we'll have to see so any ideas on potential like hot board i mean maybe we don't have a full hot board at this point maybe we just have a couple of uh, names that could make sense based on um, proximity, based on uh, prior relationship with Beamer, um, maybe just some names that sound intriguing. Any any names that you would like to see as the next offense coordinator at South Carolina? It's so early in the process. Um, you're kind of hearing a few different names come out there now. I do think the um, the Will Healy possibilities interesting you know it's someone obviously with both a local background from his time at charlotte as a head coach and an offensive background um i do i think there's some i don't want to say legs to that but i think there's some intrigue to that i think there's a way that could work well um i'm, I'm kind of just wondering about some possibilities maybe down the road you look at coastal carolina you look at there obviously not chadwell but like um a coach on that staff who might fit well um We've heard the name Kendall Bryles a lot the last few days. I don't know if that's necessarily the direction South Carolina wants to go. It kind of seems like he's in a similar position at Arkansas to what Satterfield was here, just in terms of an offense that kind of underachieved at points this year and maybe wasn't where it should have been. So I don't know if that's the right move, but that's kind of the name we're hearing a lot. Um, and then you brought up, before we started recording, something you kind of thought was interesting, Justin Fuente. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I think that you probably kick the tires on Kendall Bryles. Um, there, we have heard that there was a little bit of um, you know strife, I guess, with his time this year uh, at Arkansas, and maybe he's looking for uh, a change. But I also think you're going to have a lot of uh, lower level jobs open up as the carousel sort of swings across the country. Um, so it's possible that he, he could even be in line for a head coaching job at, I, I don't know, a Liberty Tulsa. Or Tulsa. Yeah. Something like that. So I don't know. That'll be interesting. Um, I have to imagine that money isn't going to be really an op option here. So I fully do expect South Carolina to go after some of these power five names that we're talking about before maybe looking to the G five level. Um, and then yeah, Fuente was interesting. I mean, he's what, and they're collecting a, a paycheck from Virginia Tech right now. Um, I know that they have a little bit of a prior relationship and connection. I don't, if you're South Carolina, do you want that? I mean, he has fielded good college offenses in the past, but his most recent output uh, at Virginia Tech, you know, left a lot to be desired. But I mean, you look, here's, a, here's something that's going to be a, a key factor here. Um, and Again, maybe this ended the best possible way for all parties involved. So Mark Satterfield, 
the last two games kind of coaches his way into another power five role uh, with someone that he's worked for in the past. Um, South Carolina gets the ability to kind of move on from that after there was a bit of a roller coaster throughout Southfield's uh, time here. And um, those last two games proved that there's talent here on this roster. Um, you look at the recruiting class coming in, you look at the way that South Carolina attacked the transfer portal last year, which all of that's about to open up next week. Um, by the way, quick plug, uh, Rivals uh, is starting a new transfer portal feature um, that's that's rolling out in the next week. So we will have tons of transfer portal stuff uh, on GameClassScoop.com and on Rivals uh, as that, that starts to happen. But um, anyway, I think that this is an attractive job is I guess what my point is. And I think it became a, a more attractive job over the last two weeks. Um, and you, you do have to kind of give Satterfield a pat on the back for that. Can I throw a name way, way off board that I definitely, I wouldn't say this, I think it's going to happen, but I think there's some legs to it or maybe a good idea. Mike Shanahan, not that Mike Shanahan from the NFL, the one who's currently the OC at James Madison, who worked with Antoine Wells Jr., who used to work with Jim Chaney, who obviously worked with Beamer at Georgia. So maybe there's a six degrees of Kevin Bacon type thing there. Uh, He's recruited Virginia a lot. That's obviously something that's very important to the Beamer staff. Um, And James Madison had a, Great offense this year. I mean, they, in the first year in FBS, I I have no idea how likely that is, but that was one name that kind of came to mind with the, the Wells connection and the Virginia recruiting and just kind of in general where that offense went this year. That's that's a great point. Um, another sort of SEC name that I've um, heard a little bit about is Brian Johnson, who is currently the quarterback coach at Philly, obviously has been uh, instrumental in Jalen Hurts becoming one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL uh, after struggling a little bit before he got there. He was the offensive coordinator at Florida um, in 2020 under uh, Dan Munn. So he needs some experience in the SEC. That's a name to kind of keep in mind. And then there's there's this other interesting question of who is going to call the plays for the bowl game and what actually changed after Florida. So we, we talked about that Satterfield was the one that was calling the plays and stuff. Um, but um, even publicly, they mentioned that there was a little bit of an adjustment uh, maybe to game planning. Uh, who, you know, was a, a big part of that adjustment is that Freddie Kitchens, who you brought on um, on the staff uh, in the offseason this year, who obviously has like long experience uh, in the NFL. Um, is that someone like Justin Stepp, who by all accounts is a uh, very hard worker, has um, a lot of assistant coaching experience under uh, really good offenses and, um, you know, great recruiter, all that sort of stuff. So is there someone on the staff internally that gets a shot if they do a good job calling for the bowl game? I don't know about a shot long term, but. To me, for the bowl game, the answer is Kitchens. Um, I'm not like reporting that. That's more of an I feel thing than an I know. But he's the only one who's called plays. I mean, of the official. I mean, I know he's an analyst technically, but of the actual assistant coaches on staff, none of them, none of the ten, have ever called a play before, or at least not in a college football game. So I kind of think you just need someone who's done it before, just for a one game situation. And I still think you take a big swing somewhere else. You kind of. If you're trying to get this thing to the next level, I don't think they're going to promote from within. Um, I know Clemson just did that, and I don't know, I guess kind of a mixed bag there for Brandon Streeter. But I 
I still think they go outside with a higher, but I would if I had to put money on who's calling plays in the bowl game right now, I would say Freddie Kitchens. Yeah, so I'm like I was so um, hesitant to even hit the record button just now because this is obviously a developing story. It just broke officially less than an hour ago. Um, we're gonna have a article with a full hot board put on GameCocksGroup.com this afternoon uh, with several of these names that we mentioned, maybe a couple more if I can uh, do a little bit more digging. I'm getting like texts and um, tweets and everything right now, so it's uh, hard to really nail down exactly what direction things will go. I do think uh, that Kendall Bryles is a legitimate name on this list. That doesn't mean that he's the leader or anything like that, but I think that that's that's gonna that's a possibility that's going to be explored in to some degree. Uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see. Um, again, I think it's also very likely that if he wants to, he could be a head coach at a lower program after the season too. So um, a lot to kind of look at there. I do want to just give like one more, I guess, like pat on the back uh, to to Coach Satterfield. Um, you know, we in the media all sort of drug him uh, a couple of times throughout the season. Obviously, the fan base were uh, a little harsh towards him uh, here and there throughout the season. But, I mean, fact of the matter is, he called one of the more impressive games in South Carolina program history. Uh, he was instrumental in the reason that you win these final two games against top 10 opponents. First time ever South Carolina has won back-to-back games against top 10 opponents. Um, and, yeah, uh, they pull off two of three in the orange crash, which, you know, maybe in your uh, wildest dreams heading into it, you would have thought was possible, but I don't think you would have thought it was going to be those two or, right. those, or in that fashion. So, um, you know, he uh, had his back against the wall and responded. So pat, pat on the back to him, I guess. Um, like I said, more on this offensive coordinator search and saga and all of that uh, throughout the week on GameFoxGroup.com. Now's a great time to join uh, Cyber Monday deal right now for just $22 for a year. So definitely hop on that. Let's get into Clemson. Oh, right. There was a football game this weekend. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is what we were planning on talking about, which in a lot of ways is a, a ton to talk about. We're going to have a ton more on the website on that. Uh, we already have a ton on the website on that. Um, but then, of course, the Ciderfield stuff happened this morning, so we had to address it. All right. You were in Death Valley, and you said I that was. the uh, press box was kind of behind the student section. I was um, right behind the Clemson student section the whole game. Yep. So, yeah, tell us about that experience, um, what what some of your takeaways from the game were, and we'll kind of get into it. Oh, man, there's a lot to unpack here. First of all, the three South Carolina fans who I saw go right in the middle of the Clemson student section about an hour before kickoff if any of y'all are listening, hit me up. I'd like to know how your day went. Um, just in the middle of the Clemson student section watching that, I'd like to know how your day was. Um, man, what an unbelievable, just football game. I was thinking about it kind of, we, we were talking about how there hasn't been lead changes, how they haven't had a back and forth game. They haven't had to go down to the wire, really an SEC play all season, except maybe the A&M game, I guess, got close at the end. But unbelievable. I mean, they were down 14 nothing. I think we were all kind of thinking, okay, this is kind of going the way the Florida game was going to go. Um, Rattler throws two terrible picks in the first half, one in the end zone, one for a pick six. You're thinking, oh, this is how it's kind of going to go. Um, it's the most just found a way to win game I could think of, right? They just, whether it was the special teams, whether it's forcing turnovers, um, Rattler with a couple big throws, 
Um, they just found a way to win that game. And I really don't think and many people thought they – I guess you did before the year you had South Carolina at 8-4 and four to win over Clemson. So you hit that on the head. But just found a way to win. And there's so many players to talk about, so many players. We're going to get into it. But that's kind of my biggest thing. They just found a way. Yeah, so I actually picked South Carolina this week too, because mostly because I needed to make up some ground on you on the picks, which I don't know if I fully made up all the ground. But I yeah, I had Michigan over Ohio State, I had Oregon State over Oregon. I think I might have still edged you there, but yeah, but I gained one there. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so you snapped the seven-game losing streak to Clemson. You snapped Clemson's forty-game home winning streak, um, and yeah, I mean, so little inside baseball, I guess, uh, for how we things out so quickly on GameCockScoop.com following the game. Usually you have a, a story ready to go within like five or 10 minutes of uh, the end of the game. And then I usually have a rapid reaction within half an hour or so. And that's because I usually start writing it at halftime. And I got to tell you, um, when I started writing this at halftime of this game, my title was something along the lines of um, South Carolina can't overcome early mistakes. Uh to beat Clemson or whatever, right? Because at that point, they had kind of battled back. Um, but it still felt like it was it was Clemson's game to lose. It still felt like um, South Carolina was missing too many opportunities in the first half. You had a drop pick six um, on by Darius Rush, who usually has very good hands. He's a former rec- receiver in high school. Um, so that was kind of odd. But um, you have a drop pick six. And then, of course, Rattler throws his own pick six. Um, right before the half, you have a chance to go down just um, one Got score. Yeah, yep. heading into halftime, and uh, Rattler throws uh, interception in the end zone. When at, at worst, you would have had a field goal there and gone down by six or whatever heading into halftime, um, or seven. So, yeah, you just six. My math is bad. Anyway, you got um, it. it was six. <laughs> it would have been six. <laughs> you, uh, you just kind of felt like okay, South Carolina is not playing terrible, but they're not making those game-breaking plays that you knew uh, to win the game. But then that that flip, that script kind of flipped in the second half. We saw the defense respond in many ways uh, the, the way that they have all year with a much better second half than they had first, pass, first half. Um, they held DJU to 3 of 13, passing and an interception in the second half. Um held Clemson to 86 or 87 total yards of offense in the second half. Um, and then the offense did enough uh, to call their way back into it. And you get a Mitch Jeter field goal. He, the regular season, tripped from goals uh, to go up one. And then if you had your one con in this game, I thought they went a little conservative after that, which I'm like, you only point lead. Um, but it worked out. I mean, your defense played well enough. Uh, you get a couple of turnovers with the interception from DJU and the obviously ending fumble by Antonio Williams, which had its own sort of poetry to it. Um, if you keep up with recruiting, um, Antonio Williams was you know heavily after by both Clemson and South Carolina last year, Justin Stepp put in a ton of hours uh, trying to land uh, Antonio Williams, and then he kind of uh, snubbed him for, for Clemson. And then there was some drama this offseason, this summer, where Antonio Williams showed up to a Carolina football camp, and they kicked him out, and they didn't. he didn't understand why, or his mom didn't there, um, understand why. There's a video, too, of it's not the fumble, but the – 
there was a third down pass in the fourth quarter. I think it was the first drive after Carolina took the lead where DJ's going for Antonio Williams. The ball's incomplete, and it's over on the far sideline, the Carolina sideline. And Beamer's like, I don't want to say yelling at him, but he's kind of in Antonio Williams' face a little bit. I don't know if you've seen that video, but there yeah, was um, they knew who had that fumble. I'll put it that way. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just really as far as a, a script goes, you, like you said, it was a great game, a uh, huge win for South Carolina and really a, a statement win for this program as you're trying to get the worm to turn back in your direction in this rivalry. You're trying to establish yourself uh, as a competitor in the SEC and in this corridor between Georgia and Clemson, who have both won several national championships uh, over the last decade while you've been kind of, you know, lost in the wilderness or whatever. Yeah. And I think you kind of talk about that too. I thought another thing, I didn't see a lot of people mentioning this. How about Nicky Minwari coming up with that fumble? That's a guy, he kind of bookended the season with the big plays, right? The first kind of big play of this whole season was his fourth and one stop on the very first drive against Georgia State. And then the last, well, I guess there was one after it with the Wells catch, but the last big defensive play of the season, at least the regular season, is him scooping up that Williams fumble, getting down on special teams. And I think you got to talk about the special teams as much as anything. It's it's Beamer ball. It's th- there's a reason Pete Lembo's nominated for the Broyles Award. It It's nothing we haven't seen all year, but Kai Kroger stuck three punts inside the five. Um, you mentioned Mitch Jeter, perfect on field goals, and he hit all four of his extra points, too, in a one-point game. Um, and then there was the, what was your reaction to Clemson running a muddle huddle in the middle of a safety return? And then Phil Moffa like throwing the ball forwards straight to, I think it was O'Donnell fortune who scooped that one up. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't have a problem with the play itself, <laughs> although the, the broadcast kind of mentioned that, um, maybe Dabo Sweeney was going to have some special teams wrinkles because, uh, South Carolina's, you know, the best special teams uh, in the country. And, you know, just to kind of show them something. I mean, the play itself, like, it kind of worked, I guess. Like, Moffat had a decent return up to that point. And it wasn't like, you know, South Carolina came down and crashed the uh, huddle and then caused it that way. Like, Moffat had already broken away from the huddle and was returning the kick i don't know what happened with the fumble because like you said it was like almost like he like tossed it out of his hand um i don't know if he just was holding it weird and it got slung or slung around and it was i think you used the term loaf of bread um (laughs) yeah exactly um but yeah i mean i didn't have a problem with the call itself like whatever um i didn't think that it was a situation where a fumble was a result of them getting cute because it happened so far after the little huddle or whatever but um there was a little bit of poetic justice there, I think, for sure. I, um, yeah, not that we're here to talk like Clemson's perspective on this so much, but I thought between that, to me, that's a fair catch spot. You had the momentum. That was right after they got a safety on Spencer Rattler to go up 16-7. Everything was kind of where it needed to be for Clemson. To me, that's a fair catch spot, get the offense back out there. And then the last fumble, it's easy to do in hindsight, but that part was at about the... I don't know, the Clemson 40-ish. I mean, they would have – and BT Potter's kicker who was hit from 50 this year regularly, um, you know, one of the best kickers in the ACC. If Williams if – if they have Williams call a fair catch there, they're probably two first downs away from having a chance to win, win the game on a field goal. And you can argue their offense wasn't moving the ball. Clayton West defense was playing well. But to me, that was a baffling spot for anything other than a fair catch on that punt. And Nicky Manwari, um 
came up with it. Yeah, I mean, I and Nate Atkins forced the fumble. I got to mention that too. Yeah, I mean, Nate Atkins had a great game. Um, I, I mentioned had a catch. Yeah, I mentioned during the game thread that uh, he is potentially playing his way into a round draft selection because I mean he's great uh, as a blocker um, throughout the season and especially a couple of weeks. And then I mean he showed also he's got hands <laughs> um, and has made some kind of key catches the last two weeks. I know against Tennessee he converted first down on like a third and fourth five and then. Uh, was really the spark that one-handed catch was the spark that finally got the South Carolina offense going. And this one, um, I think they scored a touchdown on that drive afterwards. They did. But that yeah. that was that was also on a third down throw, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so the drive ends if he doesn't catch. Could be wrong. Um, I anyways, think it was second, uh, but either way, it would have been like third and ten or something. Um, right. That's a deep shot, and they just needed to play at that point. It was fourteen nothing. Right. Um. What were we saying before you said that about Nate? Oh, and so I think probably uh, if you're the Clemson coach, you probably told Antonio Williams if he had an opportunity to, to try to return it because the office is struggling so much. Um, I mean, at that point, uh, DJ, you finished the game with a 28% completion percentage. He was pretty terrible. Um, I mean, they were still running the ball decently, but usually South Carolina was making enough plays to force them to throw it uh, a lot of times in the second half. Just by, I mean, they were loading the box and putting their corners on islands, and that was working, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think maybe they were hoping that Williams could set them up in a good field position where they only needed one first down or whatever to, to get into field range. But Well, that's it, the other thing, too. It didn't work it, I, I feel like I'm not giving South Carolina enough credit when I'm just talking about all the mistakes Clemson made, and that's not what I'm trying to do. But Will Shipley touched the ball twice in the whole whole fourth quarter. He was at more than eight yards a carry, and Clemson just stopped giving him the ball. In a game that they were leading, too. For, I mean, the fourth quarter, they were behind one point most of the fourth quarter or whatever. But still, that's not like a deficit where you feel like you have to throw it on every play or anything. Um, yeah, it's, it's baffling. Uh, I know that... <laughs> As frustrated as South Carolina fans were with their offensive coordinator all season, um, look up Brandon Streeter's Twitter right now. It's uh... oh boy, <laughs> I was um, sitting right behind a lot of drunk Clemson students. They were not pleased with Brandon Streeter. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. So Dabo elects to take one of the top programs in the country, and instead of uh, hiring externally at a job that you would think is pretty attractive to a lot of people. Um, he decides to make two internal hires and maybe sees, I mean, they went 10 and two, like, let's not, let's keep our, keep things in perspective here or whatever. But, uh, you know, they weren't competing on a level like maybe they've come to expect up there. So, yeah, there's a few more people I think you need to shout out when you're talking about this game. Um, I'm not sure how we've gone this far without mentioning Brad Johnson, but I think he probably had his best game of the season. He was in DJ's face all day. There's a picture. I know your favorite South Carolina Clemson picture ever is DJ Swearinger from the 2012 game, but I'm assuming you saw Brad Johnson had an almost identical remake of that. They put it on Twitter. Um, he was fantastic all day He with the pressure. Um, I thought that was probably the best South Carolina's linebackers have looked. Oh my, I don't even know in how long, at least in the second half, kind of keeping things keeping things in check, especially when Clemson, the, the few times they were running the ball, 
Um, so I think you got to give him a big shout out. Antoine Wells Jr. Again, making himself some money for the NFL in the future. Um, just terrific these last two games. And he had the game punching catch that third and four. I kind of, I don't know what you thought. I, it was minute 13 to go. Clemson was out of timeouts. I was thinking, all right, they're going to run the ball. Probably won't get the first down because they weren't really running the ball well all day, but that would take the clock under 30 seconds. Kroger sticks the other one down there and you're probably feeling okay. I never thought they would throw the ball there. Um, Spencer Rattler said he called that play himself. Well said he was, he was fully behind it. He wanted the ball in that spot. And it was kind of a, ironically, because this is what Satterfield got criticized for so much after Missouri. It's one of those kind of tunnel screens. Um, and Wells picked up the first down and iced the game. What did you kind of think of that last play on offense? Yeah, I mean, it was relatively a relatively safe call, but a little bit more aggressive than just, you know, doing a straight dive up the middle or whatever. Um, I, I thought it was a good call. Um, you probably have a good bit of confidence in your defense at that point that if you don't get it, uh, you – and your your defense and Pat Krober, uh, that if you don't get it, you punt them and you know make them drive the length of the field, and that's still probably uh, going to be tough for them to win. But it's always nice to sort of end the game with your own offense on the field there. Um, another thing that we mentioned is, by the way, I see a few of you guys watching live right now. Um, feel free to leave comments wherever you're watching, Twitter, YouTube, whatever, um, and we'll try to answer questions or you know we can just talk talk a little ball here, but. Um, Anyway, uh, Spencer Rattler, who we mentioned his struggles in the first half, uh, two key plays, uh, really three. I mean, he took a safety as well, but, I mean, I don't necessarily pin that on him. He had pressure in his face immediately. Um, but anyway, so uh, came out in the second half, completed 10 straight passes, including that 75-yard touchdown pass to Antoine Wells in that stretch, um, and really, you know, played a good enough game uh, to get your team to win. Um, and I thought he made much better decisions in the second half after being a little bit too loosey-goosey with it in the first half. Yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things where it doesn't really matter, but that that whole sequence on the second interception, right? It's fourth and one. They, Shane Bieber goes for a fourth and one inside his own 40, by the way. We haven't seen a whole lot of that this year. Um, I've got all the fourth downs in a spreadsheet. Um, some numbers coming later on GameCockScoop.com. But if that's the deep ball or the lofted ball, I guess, that Juju McDowell turns into a deep ball. Um, Rattler said they've had that play in the book since August, and they haven't had a good chance to call it yet, and they busted it out for that fourth down in the Clemson game. Juju gets down to the one, no gain on first down, and then second and goal. He telegraphed the throw, I think, was the problem. I saw someone else mention this too, but he only ever looked in Antoine Wells Jr.'s direction, and unfortunately for him, Clemson do that too. Um, double coverage, ball is underthrown and picked. But after that, he kind of settled in. Um, that was that kind of felt like one of those, all right, we're not giving them any more. That was the last mistake of the day kind of deals. Um, comes out in the second half, like you said, 10 for 10. I thought the, not the touchdown that made it 30-28, but the one that made it 23-21 was big because that was right after the defense got a three and out to start the second half. You're like, chance to get some momentum back here. Um, and he gets him down the field there to make it a two-point game again. Um and again, kind of the bookend where I started this, he just found a way to win. He found a way to make plays late, even through some some penalties, had a couple face masks. There was one offensive face mask that really hurt in the fourth quarter that took him out of a chance to score a touchdown. But they found a way to get that done, and they finished the game on offense, which I know Beamer's talked about this year. They weren't doing that, right? They didn't do it against AM. They gave him a chance at a Hail Mary. They gave Kentucky a possession late, down by 10. They haven't been finishing on offense this year, and they really did that uh, on Saturday. 
Yeah, definitely. And uh, you get to kneel down, and then South Carolina fans get to rush the field two weeks in a row because Clemson <laughs> always opens the game. I don't have that SEC rule about having fans on the field. Um, yeah, I mean, really great moment. Uh, probably the last time, uh, I, I don't know, I, I would say probably the last time you see uh, Spencer Rattler in this game against Clemson, but maybe he was surprised and comes back. Um, but, you know, he really made his impact felt uh, on the rivalry uh, in, in one game. Um, and really, you just think about, like the difference in last year and this year, and pretty much every playmaker in this one, outside of Kai Kroger, uh, was a newcomer. So you you mentioned Eamon Worry, uh, Antoine Wells as a transfer, um, Nate Atkins as a transfer. Um, I mean, I guess Cam Smith had a couple of, of big plays. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, oh, Mark, someone that we haven't mentioned yet that I think deserves. Uh, a little bit more praised. Martellus Dials so had the interception uh, in the fourth quarter. And I thought he really has played very well the last two weeks um, and got put in some tough positions, right? I mean, you're against this Tennessee offense that is one of the best in the country at that point. Um, and even though DJU hasn't been great this year, uh, in both games, they really challenged the the DBs to win their one on one matchups, and pretty consistently, the the third corner here uh, that hasn't gotten as much praise as Cam Smith and Darius Rush held his on in both of those matchups. Yeah, it's kind of the I don't want to use the word forgotten, but he is kind of the forgotten corner here, right? Cam Smith's a, probably a first round pick. Darius Rush is a guy who's also getting some NFL buzz. Marcellus Dial's been fantastic, really all of November and most of the season for for that matter. Um, you mentioned the pick in the fourth quarter. There was kind of funny. It was kind of similar to the pick Cam Smith had last year on DJ in this game. It was a deep ball over the middle where he kind of undercut the receiver and, and kind of grabbed it up there. But um, no, he's been fantastic all year. And when you kind of look back at what's the strength of this team this year, I think secondary, if you have to, if you're, if you're doing a season report card for this position by position, which I did midway through the year at the bye, secondary is going to grade out the highest baby other than special teams, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that you could argue that the defensive line uh, played better than we expected. I'll tell you, the difference in this game was how well the linebackers played. I mean, they they stepped yep. up uh, against a run game. I mean, again, again, they gave up a lot of yardage or whatever, but they, they stepped up when they had to. You had big games from, like you said, Brad Johnson. I thought Sherrod Green had a nice game. Um, and then Debo Williams also had a couple of, of key plays. Um, but yeah season i think the secondary has been the most consistent unit um and you could also argue that the wide receivers might be one of the better groups on the team which yeah. is not something that we anticipated going into the season no and then as long as we're talking about everybody i don't know if you could say the south Carolina offensive line dominated this game but i think they i think perry mccarty said thursday or friday when we recorded they needed to at least stalemate um, they weren't doing that in the first quarter or first quarter and a half, but I think in the second half, they at least did, right? I mean, that's one of the best defensive lines in the country. Um, it could be the best. You could make that argument. I wouldn't fight you on it. Two top 10 picks there with Brissy and Murphy. And they they did enough for Rattler to have time to make throws, to connect on the deep balls. The one to Wells sticks out. The practice was really good on that play. And it wasn't perfect, but it was never going to be against Clemson's defensive line. And I think this offensive line played more than well enough to deserve some praise. Um, one more thing I want to talk 
bit more and move on. Uh, so you wrote an article that kind of captured some of these things, which you can find on GameCockScoop.com. But tell me about the post-game uh, atmosphere. So I know you guys got to kind of hang out um, near where the locker room was because they didn't have a formal sort of press room or whatever. So you did a lot of scrambling with uh, some of the the post game stuff, but that also meant you got to kind of some of the sights and sounds of the team celebrating and all that after the game. I, I know you, I saw you got a video of Cam Smith asking where the trophy was, and um, it seemed like people were having a good time under there. So give me a little bit of uh, insight on what was going on underneath. Yeah, this is where we really need Pauline here. She was in the field the whole game. But, um, yeah, it was – I don't even know how you describe it. It was – kind of unhinged, but in a good way. Everyone's kind of running in different directions. You've got people hugging family members. Um, I know Beamer found both of his parents. I saw Clayton White grab his kids. Um, just everyone running in different directions, trying to find someone to hug, basically. I saw, I wrote about this. Todd Ellis seeked out Kai Kroger. He went down, um, just wanted to give him a shout-out for his game. And yeah, fair enough, Todd. That's worth it. Um, the trophy comes in there in the middle of Beamer answering a question. He grabs it and holds it up while talking um, against that little brick wall they have set up there for visitors media. Um, I think the funniest moment was Shane Beamer running into Zach Pickens post-game scrum and going, just he's just yelling Zach Pickens' name, and Zach goes, hey, that's Coach Beamer, just in the most <laughs> casual way possible. It was awesome. Um, uh, everybody just so celebratory, and I got a video of it too. Um, Shane Beamer's kids, after everything they cleared out, running down the hill, the Clemson players run down before the game. Um, I guess touching Howard's Rock and whatever. That was pretty funny. Um, it It's exactly what you would expect to happen after not winning this game seven times in a row. And you win it like that. Just unbe unbelievable. Yeah, I got a lot of fun texts. I mean, just like anyone that's from South Carolina, right? I have friends that are Carolina fans. I have friends that are Clemson fans. I'm part of a, a fantasy football group uh text that is pretty evenly split and uh the 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 texts were fun i can't read any of them because they're very inappropriate but um <laughs> there was uh there was a little bit of gnashing of teeth um from the clemson fans and a little bit of uh sean fruit or however you say that the sean Freud, yeah um from the subcon folks and you know uh well deserved like it's been seven years of Suffering, it's been uh, amplified by the fact that Clemson's won a couple of national championships, gone to six playoffs or whatever it is at this point, um, won conference championships, all while you've kind of mucked around. And, of course, coming off of five straight South Carolina wins prior to that, in which uh, you really kind of had felt like you had um, – turned the the momentum of that rivalry for good and then uh, it swung back completely so um good moment for south carolina fans i'm very very happy for all of our readers over at gamecocks.com who seem to have been having a good start to their week so far yeah it's just the fans that were there too i mean obviously there's a little section in the corner but there were some dotted around of I, I saw those three in the student section i i would imagine they had like the best day of their lives probably um you've i mean you've done a couple of these you've seen carolina win up there what do you, what is it like for you kind of in that stadium yeah so you're there, I mean, what 10 and 12. yeah i was there for the the wins in 10 and 12. um 
And I was also in the Clemson section. Uh, I was uh, dating a girl at the time that had season tickets, or like family had season tickets. Um, so I'm the one person wearing a South Carolina shirt and the sea of orange or whatever. And it feels pretty nice. I mean, <laughs> people give you some looks and uh, I had any like issues with anyone getting too uh, unruly or anything. And then um, it's really cool to see uh, the Clemson fans sort of streaming out as South Carolina fans take over the stadium uh, for that last little little bit. Um, so yeah, I, I it's always fun to go into hostel. I was in Athens um, in 2011 when South Carolina won there too. It's always fun to go into hostel. That's the Melvin Ingram Stadium. fake punt, right? Right. Yeah. That's yeah, that's a good one. So next we'll have a bowl game, which we should hear about what Sunday. Is Sunday, yep. Big special show. Um, we're thinking most likely at the moment. Uh, I think Citrus or Relia Quest, which is the former Outback Bowl, are probably the most likely at the moment. Um, I know that's they're still showing up on Gator Bowl watch list a little bit, but I think that's a little bit lower tier at this point. Um, they were pretty much. They were already being rumored for the Gator Bowl before they won this one. So now at eight and four, uh, maybe some somewhat depends on if Georgia blows out LSU. Um, if that drops LSU below South Carolina in the pecking order. Um, but I, I have seen that the Citrus Bowl has been kind of tweeting a couple of like teases that maybe uh, yeah. they're considering South Carolina. Once Daly wants it, um, she mentioned Citrus Bowl yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And I see um, uh, a couple of rumored opponents notre dame illinois uh, i would be happy with either of those although i think notre dame would be more fun uh just you know bigger national it's a game. game but i know uh i know perry mccarty would like to see us play in illinois <laughs> uh, he's he's been kind of on them since the preseason which uh that's another one that he kind of called right uh that they would have a bounce back year and they definitely have uh, but yeah i think you're going to florida most likely Almost certainly a Florida, one of those three bowl games in Florida. Um, the Citrus Bowl is kind of after the New Year's Six, first in the SEC pecking order, which I thought it was all kind of cut and dry Citrus Bowl. You'd have Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, and LSU all going to New Year's Six, and that just leaves South Carolina for the Citrus Bowl. Well, and then LSU goes and loses to a 5-7 A&M team and will probably lose again Saturday. So Citrus Bowl is kind of between LSU and South Carolina. Where does that leave South Carolina if they don't get that? one of the other two Florida Bulls, probably. Um, I think you just want something fun, right? You're going to Florida. You're going for the new year. It's going to be warm. You want Notre Dame to be fun. Um, I think that's just kind of what you want at this point. You just want whatever the most fun matchup is to kind of send this year out on a high and go into 2023. Yeah, and then you you start to think about um, who might leave early for the NFL draft. You start to think about who might enter the transfer portal. Um, we'll obviously have updates on all of that as those things become clear in the coming days. It's going to be really busy next couple of weeks, Alan. I hope you're ready. Um, yeah. But uh, you have to think that the most likely person to sit is maybe Cam Smith, who is the the one that I can think of right now that's probably got a first round draft grade. Um, but you know, there may be a couple more that uh, have played their way on national stages over the last two weeks into a little bit of a higher priority um and perhaps they'll they'll opt to sit which if you're not playing in like a playoff game or a new year six game i i can't necessarily fault anyone for that um you got a lot of money 
you know, on the line there to to play in a what is essentially a meaningless game. So. Yeah, I, I, whatever. This team's not going to be remembered by whatever happens in the bowl game. This team's remembered for beating Tennessee and more pressingly beating Clemson um, and ending the streak there. So I think Cam Smith likely to sit. I think you could see Zach Pickens sit, but he also might look at it as a chance to like earn himself some more money, especially if it is like Notre Dame or kind of a big stage opponent. Um, Spencer Rattler obviously is the big question mark. We've seen some quarterbacks sit the last couple of years in these type of games. Um, I don't really know, want to make a call there. We'll kind of see how it looks, but I think there's a chance that could go either way and maybe rush too could go either way. If he's another one with maybe an NFL future. Do you think that there's any chance that you'd rather in a South Carolina uniform again next year? I don't want to say no chance because it's college football and stuff happens, but I really, really don't think that's likely. I think especially after these last two games, I think if it wasn't already decided, he's an NFL team will draft him. Yeah, so we'll we'll have a full sort of breakdown of who is leaning which way um, and, you know, obviously some formal announcements that will come out in the coming weeks. Uh, yeah, you think about like Spencer Rattler, Jordan Birch perhaps uh, could opt to go early, although he's oh, still got some eligibility remaining. One, yeah. um, did Antoine Wells Jr. his way into uh, being able to leave now, or does he come back for one more year? Um, we saw, you know, that didn't necessarily pay off for Josh Van this year, who may have downgraded his position a little bit this year. Oh, we didn't even mention that. Josh year. Van got hurt in this game. Um, Beamer said it's it looked bad. It was a knee injury. Beamer said it's not ACL, but they're gonna have to get some more tests done and see how that looks. Um, I don't know if he'll play in the bowl game, especially if there's any kind of injury question at all, but we didn't even mention that. That was kind of the one injury note from the Clemson game. Yeah. Any other um, guys with eligibility that you'd expect back, but maybe could uh, opt to go ahead and make the jump to the NFL that you can think of off the top of your head? No, I mean, I think that's kind of it, the ones we covered, especially the corners. Um we had heard some rumors about Marshawn Lloyd. Um, oh, yeah. It would be surprising to me just because how little he played down the stretch. Um, you know, if he had kept up his pace from the middle of the season to the end of the season, maybe he had played his way into, you know, I mean, running backs don't go in the first round now anyway, but maybe into like a round three or four pick. Um, but, yeah, we'll just have to see on that one and, and if he he's kind of reconsidering coming back and putting some more on tape since he's been struggling uh, throughout his career here with injuries thus far. I do think this offense needs him back. We'll, we'll see what the portal looks like and stuff, but I do think this offense needs him back just given the seeming lack of confidence that the Savat and the rest of the backs on the death chart. Yeah, I very much would expect um, some names to hit the portal. Uh, I very much expect South Carolina to target the portal again, especially at receiver in particular. Did you um, see Dominic Love hit the portal yesterday? Yeah, I did, which will be, yeah, interesting. Uh, and all the early signing period for the 2023 class is coming up here uh, in mid-December. I think South Carolina will get a few more commitments either on the early signing period day or whatever, um, or 
in the weeks leading up to it. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, you also still have a couple more 2023 names that'll opt to wait until uh, the original signing day in February, like Nicholas Harper for sure uh, is pretty much guaranteed not to sign in the early signing period. And yeah, now's a great time to get a subscription to GameCockScoop.com. Like I said, if you do it today, you can get $22 for a full year, um, which is normally $100. And then it'll go back to that $100 tomorrow. So definitely get in on that today if you can. Um, that's Oh, one more thing before we leave. We are hearing uh, some rumblings out there that uh, Shane Beamer is probably in line for a contract extension. Uh, that makes sense, right? Like on, on paper, that's <laughs> uh, after the start that he's had. Uh, he's one of the lower paid co coaches in the SEC. Actually, he's the 13th lowest paid coach in the SEC. At the he's the lowest one we know um, of because Vanderbilt doesn't release their numbers because they're a private school. But of the 13 we know of, Beamer is 13th. Yeah, so observed, uh, uh, and we'll have all the, the terms on that as, as it comes out. We pretty much have that ready to go. We're just waiting on the, the official release there. But um, that's something to look for in the coming days as well. Anything else before we get out here, Alan? Um, not really. We got basketball this week. Stick around on GameCockScoop.com. Um, women have a big ranked home game tomorrow night. Men have two games this week on the road in DC. Um, we'll have press conferences for those today and some coverage all week. So just stick around for that. Yeah, which we didn't talk much basketball, but uh, the men's team got a, a pull away win against USC Upstate um, on Friday, and then the women won their game. Uh, going away on Sunday, but of course the big story there is that Leah Boston got injured in that one. And what was the latest uh, post game on her injury there? Dawn said she was questionable. They don't think it's long term, but they want to be extra cautious. Um, she came back in a walking boot, but it was one of those like light boots, not like a full heavy duty one in the third quarter. And she was able to walk. I saw her get up and like you know when they call timeouts, greet teammates and stuff. We're going to hear from Dawn in about three hours at, a, at an open practice. So we'll see if Aaliyah is practicing and we'll see what she says about her um, ahead of a big game against UCLA tomorrow night. Um, so stick around for that. We'll have a, I'll have a story, a quick story on that up in a few hours once we actually hear from Dawn. All right. And yeah, initial uh, office coordinator hot board up later this afternoon on GamePackScoop.com as well. Uh, and then we'll be back here later in the week to talk about uh, the, the sports uh basketball games coming up and uh, any updates we have on offensive coordinator, bowl game, all that fun stuff. So until then, uh, this is the GameCockScoop.com podcast. See you later.